Welcome to Momentum Church. I appreciate that woo. Come on, Brantley, bring it. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brantley Johnson. Uh, if you're new here, I'm the executive pastor at Momentum Church. And uh, we are so glad to be in this series, Home Improvement. And uh, to get this thing started, I have a quick question. Do we have any competitive people in the house this morning? Competitive people. Yeah. Yeah, some of you competitive people are still upset over last night's losses uh, in football. Uh, Some of you don't know what a football is, and that's okay, too. Um, I'm still uh, happy that my balls won last night, so go Rocky Top. Um, but, you know, com- competitiveness, like that's, that's something that is inside of everyone. Whether you are overtly competitive like I am and I race people to the next stoplight, um, or whether you are just calm and internally competitive, right? You just want to be better in life. Uh, you know, in, in either case, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and, and a lot of times, like, have you ever had a project where you did way too much? Like, it was totally unnecessary to do everything that you did to complete a project, but you wanted it to be better than everybody else's. Anybody done that? I, I heard a laugh, so that was good. Yes. Yeah. So you can see this happen a lot of times in parents, right, with children that have school projects. All of a sudden, the parent takes over the project. Maybe you were that kid. Maybe you are that parent. Um, I have been that parent, but I tell you, the the best time that I can remember is actually whenever I was in, I don't know, I was fourth or fifth grade, and my dad, I I say my dad, notice how I start this this story out, my dad. Now, so I had a school project, it was just to create a catapult, the the whole class had to create a catapult, um, you know, and it's just create a catapult that could, you know, launch a, a golf ball. Now, keep in mind that the teacher's expectations for fourth and fifth graders was that we would tie a pencil to the back of a ruler and smack it, right? But that's not what my dad had in mind. My dad's like, oh, dude, we can do way better than this. And so he created, I'm not exaggerating, a five-foot-tall catapult that had to be operated by a small militia. This thing, it could shoot a golf ball. I, I don't think I'm exaggerating this part, but I was also in fourth grade, so I might be. It could shoot a golf ball like 65 yards in the air and take out that annoying kid that keeps telling on you. (laughs) It was awesome, (laughs) right? So, I mean, but this idea of like competitiveness and this idea that we've got to make things better, we've got to make things bigger, like it, it can be traced way back and it is the thing inside of us that makes us say it's not good enough. Right? And, and that, I, so I don't normally title my sermons, but this morning I wanted to give my sermon a title uh, of It's Not Good Enough. And as I pull this off, I'm not going to do a magic trick because I would destroy this whole table in the process. I'd like to get started in prayer, okay? And, and the reason why I want to get started in prayer is because I, I want to let you in on a secret. For pastors, Between first and second service, we think to ourselves, it wasn't good enough. All right, I just want that to settle on you for a second. We get through first service, and and our first thought, if I'm being 100% transparent with you, is it wasn't good enough. And I don't want to carry that onto this service because 
God has specifically designed this message for you, and it will be good enough because not that I put it together, but because the Lord is going to speak to you this morning. So I want to pray. God, thank you so much for today, God. Thank you, Lord, that you have specifically crafted a message to pierce the hearts of the people in this room and the people that are online watching with us. God, not my will, but your will be done. Not my words, but your words be spoken. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. So as we look at this idea of it's not good enough, like we can go all the way back in Scripture, and all through Scripture, we can see a pattern of how uh, throughout generation after generation, we have come to this idea that it's not good enough. But we have to go back into Genesis. And if you notice, whenever I teach, a lot of times I go back into Genesis. And the reason for that is not that Genesis, you got to keep in mind, Genesis was not just a history lesson. The Bible is not just a history lesson. It is a, it is a, a complete understanding for the things that we are dealing with today. Right? Wherever you are in life, you've got to retrace Scripture back into Genesis because this is where we can find original creation and the original fall. And, and so if we go back into Genesis here, we have where God creates Adam and Eve. And I'm going to look for my little Adam and Eve people here. I've got a head. All right, I've got God. That one was easy to find because he has a big beard. Um, <laughs> So we've got Adam and Eve here. Here's the body. Here, here we go. We've got Adam and Eve. And, and so God creates this, this perfect little space for, for Adam and Eve and for his creation to be in and amongst. And it's very simple, right? It's the kingdom that, that God creates originally, is, it's very simple. And, and, and this is, this is kind of it. He says, I, I want people to rule over the earth, and I want to be with them. And they were created to walk in the cool of the day with God. And he would come down, and he would talk with them, and this, this was good. It's so simple. And, you know, for a period of time, uh, generations, this was how they operated. And we know that the fall came, they took a bite of the fruit and welcomed sin into the world. And all of a sudden, we start to see where this idea of competitiveness, this idea of comparison, and it's an, it's an unhealthy competitiveness, an unhealthy comparison, works its way into culture. And if we move forward into Genesis chapter 11... In Genesis chapter 11, it, uh, it's, a, it's a people group of God that they come together and um, th they see the cultures that are around them. And they start to build something. And it says, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, that, that word name, that's an interesting word because that, that word name is, has absolutely nothing to do with God right now. See, why are they creating this city? Why are they creating this tower, the Tower of Babel, as it's referred to? Well, they needed to build a tower 
for themselves. It was a, it was a deep-seated insecurity as they had traveled from culture to culture and, and seen the other temples, seen the other gods, then all of a sudden they start to look at the original creation. They look at the simplicity of it. And compared to everyone else, it just doesn't seem good enough. These other cultures, they're bigger than us, they're stronger than us, they have bigger cities, bigger walls, bigger temples for their gods. And and maybe if we can create something that's bigger, that's bigger than what they have, maybe if we can create something that's better than what they have, and we build a big city and we build a big tower, then the other cultures around us will fear us. Have you ever noticed how the most confident people don't have to work very hard? See, God being the only living God, the only one who can actually create anything, built it very simply. Why? Because he's not insecure. He's not insecure with creation. He built it perfectly and said, it is good like this. But then the insecure rise up and they say, wait a second, we have to prove ourselves We have to make it bigger. We have to make it stronger. We have to make other people fear us. We have to make other people look like us or or, or want to be like us. They, they, They need to want what we have, and so we will build it bigger and make a name and make fame for ourselves. And God realizes, wait a second, this is no longer about me, but it's about them. It is not good. It's not good for them to be so insecure and, and worried about how big they have to build their lives. <laughs> and so he tears it down and he scatters them. And, and you would think that, you know, after a, a moment like that, right, where, where he scatters them uh, across the different nations, where they would kind of figure this out. And you, do you ever, like, read the Bible and get frustrated with the people in the Bible? And you're like, just figure it out, right? It's so simple. He tore it down. Don't do it again. <laughs> well, what's interesting is, is that the, 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 the people, the Hebrews, they end up uh, going through Egypt, uh, and, and they spend so much time in Egypt. Uh, they, they spend hundreds of years there, and, and, and God brings them out, and it's this beautiful moment where God's like, yes, finally, I can restore my people. I can, I can bring them back into original creation. And, man, I've never seen this before. So they come out, and they come to Mount Sinai. Did you know that God didn't just speak audibly to Moses? He spoke audibly to the whole Hebrew nation, to all the Israelites. He spoke audibly to them. Check it out. Let's go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain. That's Moses talking. He's addressing them, reminding them of when the Ten Commandments were given. Uh, He spoke to all your assembly at the mountain from the midst of the fire, of the cloud and of the thick gloom with a great voice, and he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. You said, behold, 
The Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice. That's interesting. <laughs> From the midst of the fire. We have seen today that God speaks with man, yet he lives. Now then, why should we die? For the great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, then we will die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You, you go near, right? That's the implied you. Moses, you go near and hear all that the Lord our God says. Then you speak to us all that the Lord our God speaks to you, and we will hear and do it. This is a strange moment. They come out of Egypt, out of oppression, and they hear the audible voice of God, and they say, we don't want to hear it anymore. Now, God is a really good God. He's a really caring God. And so what he does is he says, look, I, I get it. These people have just come out of Egypt. Man, that's a harsh land to be in with harsh gods. Their gods are evil. And, and that's all that they've known for the past 400 years is evil gods. And I'm not an evil god. And, and to show them that I'm not an evil god, I still want to be their king. I still want to be their god. I want them to be my people and me be their god. And so in order to speak with them and my presence still be with them, but I, I don't want to freak them out. I want to honor them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have you build a temple, a tabernacle for my presence to come in and dwell. And that's where I will come and they can come and bring their sacrifices. They can come and worship. They can be in my presence and I can be their God and they can be my people. So many times we get focused on the idea that this was where all the sacrifices were made. And very few times do we look at this idea that, well, it's not just for the sacrifices, but it's because God wanted to be with his people. And so he says, just build me this little space so that I can be with my people. And it's, this works for a while, you know hundred years or so, until eventually we get to the point when we realize it's not good enough. Now, Saul eventually becomes their first human king. Saul becomes their first human king, and, and uh, he has his good moments, and he has his bad moments, and uh, ultimately it brings about David, who is just an incredible king. He loves God with all of his heart. And it says that, that David was actually a man after God's own heart. And, and, and God always honors the heart of his people, and I love that. God is a good and caring God, and so he, he likes to, to take care of us. And so David, through all of his running from Saul, he encounters different cultures, different ideals, different theologies, and, and he's like, God, look, I've, I've seen all of these other temples out there. I've seen all these other temples to lesser gods. And God, you're a better God than they could ever possibly imagine. Please let me build something bigger and something better than this small space that you have asked us to make. And God, in, in his holy moment, says, all right, David, your heart is right. I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to let you now. You're not going to be able to build it, though, okay? Your son Solomon's going to build it, which is good. It's good. And Solomon loves the Lord as well. And so he's able to build this, this space for God. And what's interesting, um, if we go into 1 Kings, let's go to 1 Kings. Chapter 9. It says, now it came about when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, this one that he's building. I've consecrated this house, which you have built by putting my name there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Check it out. He says he put his name. All right, it's not an accident. If you remember the Tower of Babel, they were building something for their name. And God comes along and he says, I put my name on this one. Mm. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, what's, what's really interesting, so they bring all of the stuff from the tabernacle, and if you go back to chapter 8, it's not going to be up on the screen. Verse 10, uh, when, whenever, whenever they had the tabernacle, the, the cloud of God, the Shekinah glory of God would be over this place, and it would come down into this space, and the fire of God, and the spirit, and the presence of God would be there, and that cloud was an indication to everybody around that his presence was there. And up until this was built, they didn't see it. So then it gets built. And in chapter 8, verse 10, it says, And it happened that when the priests came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. He consecrated it, his name. He put his presence in this space. And he says, look, but if you... you because your heart is right. But, verse 6, chapter 9, but if you or your sons indeed turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments and statutes which I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. So Israel would become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And we know that there was a period of time where they did right by the Lord. They loved him. They worshiped him. They did what he would ask, and he blessed this house. But eventually, over time, they would start to do things that had nothing to do with the presence of God in his presence. And in 586 B.C., the Babylonians would come and they would destroy this place. They would utterly destroy it. And several years later, around 520, 521, it would be rebuilt. And here's what's interesting, though. It would be rebuilt and not everything would be brought back to the temple. Not everything. To include God's presence. The Shekinah glory never returned to the second rebuilt temple. 
never returned. And then we flash forward into 20 BC where a man named Herod, this this crazy king-like guy, comes along and he is from Rome and he is off his rocker. There is something really wrong with this guy. He's, he's constantly paranoid, and, and, and he's always thinking that his family members, his friends, are going to try to take his kingdom away from him. He's always paranoid that people are going to kill him, so he massacres people in the process. And his way to in, ensure that, that he could maintain his rule was by taking this second temple and kind of modifying it and making it bigger and better for his name's sake. Hmm. And the Shekinah glory never returned. So he builds this space for himself. He builds it to instill pride and competitiveness amongst the Jewish people. And this thing is incredible. It's giant. He actually adds on to the side of the mountain to make this thing huge so that he can build a name for himself and build a sense of pride and win over the Jewish people. And Jesus comes along, and I I think this is interesting. Jesus grew up around this temple, around this space. And one day he decides to make a, a whip and drive out all of the money changers, all of the marketplace people. Because what ended up happening was they took this space that was designed for God. And, and, and Jesus says that, you know, you have taken a space that was meant to be prayer for my father and you've turned it into a den of robbers. You have made this into a marketplace where you're buying and selling and all that this represents, it has nothing to do with God anymore. It has nothing to do with your sacrifice, but it has everything to do with what you want to show people, what you want to show the world. And so you've brought the bricks, you've brought the mortar, you've assembled all of this stuff and it's all just been a show. It's been to make your name great, and this has nothing to do with God anymore. And I'm not here to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. You have missed the interpretation of Scripture. You have missed the interpretation of creation. And now it's become all about what you can do to make yourself famous instead of who can you be to make my God famous? And the presence of God never showed up. Herod said, it's not good enough. And yet even though he built it three times as big, the presence of God never showed up. Jesus came along with a new teaching, a new 
interpretation. See, whenever you read where Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, well, that's, that's say, you would, ancient rabbinic uh, interpretation, that's what that was. They would say, you would abolish the law if you try to do these things. You would fulfill the law if you interpreted it like this. And so Jesus says, guys, by building this temple, by building this mountain, by doing these things, you have abolished the law. The law is not necessarily what has been written on stone. It's not what has been recorded in the book of Moses. It's not all of the things as far as how big you can build this thing, but the law is the law of your heart. The law of creation, the law of the kingdom, the law of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven does not have a temple like this. It is not about making it bigger. It's about making it deeper. And I hear so many Christians that will say, I just want to go deeper. They'll reference Ezekiel. I think it's... uh, chapter 40, Ezekiel's temple, the the vision that Ezekiel's given. And they see this river of water flowing from the altar. And the spirit of the Lord takes him, an angel of the Lord takes him to where the water's ankle deep and then it's shin deep and it's knee deep and it's waist deep and like, oh man, I just want to go deeper. And we mean it with good intentions. But sometimes... A lot of times, when we say, I just want to go deeper in my faith, more times than not, what I actually see happening is them subconsciously saying, I want to build it bigger. And you've missed it. For some people, this freaks you out, this idea. You would go and see the temple and say, I don't have anything bigger to offer, God. I can't. I can't pray like some of my friends can pray. I, I can't understand scripture. God, how am I supposed to build something like this? I, I can't measure up. I don't have the gifts and the talents to bring into your house to make it bigger and better because I know, God, I know where I'm at. It's not good enough. That's why Jesus drove out the people from the marketplace and ultimately this space in 70 AD would be completely destroyed. Why? Because Jesus' message It was a different message. In light of this temple, Jesus would come along. And in Matthew 6, he would say stuff like this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Jesus would come along with a different kind of message. He'd say, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Standing in the shadows of this temple, when you pray, 
Go into your inner room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You don't need to bring the sacrifice in front of everybody. You don't need to show how spiritual you are. When you fast, anoint your head. Wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. Jesus comes along and he has a different interpretation. He's not trying to tell you how to break the law. He's trying to tell you how to fulfill it. He's trying to give us proper understanding. He's trying to give us proper understanding that he's like, guys, this is, do you not understand? This is not even, the tabernacle is not even what God wanted. He didn't need the tabernacle to fulfill his kingdom on the earth. Go back into the beginning and look. He didn't need that. Y'all didn't want him. And throughout the course of time, you just slowly but surely said, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Hebrews Chapter 8, verse 5, it says that that tabernacle is just a copy and a shadow. It's a pattern. For what? For how to get into God's presence. That's all that it is. How to get into God's presence. And Jesus comes along with this proper understanding, with this proper interpretation and he says, I see what you've built. I've seen all of the goodness of your hearts. I've seen when you've done stuff that is bigger and, and more than what I've asked you to do. I, I've seen the pressure that you've put on yourselves. I've seen all of that different stuff. But what you need to understand is this life is not about how, build, how, how big you can build it. I will see this temple destroyed. And since you can't seem to grasp the concept that it's not about the stuff in this life, it's not about the appearance of yourself in this life, it's not about the competition between you and other religions, it's not about the competition between you and the person that you sit next to in church, it's not about the competition between you and the other uh, discipleship group, it's not about you and the stuff that you can bring, it's not about you and the stuff that you can't bring, it's about the the idea that I have created this entire kingdom. I have created this entire world. I have created all cultures, all generations, strictly to be in my presence. And the interpretation of the law is get into my presence and allow me to commune with you. Allow me to rule in you. Allow me to rule as your king. Be my people and I will be your God. So since you can't seem to understand this with the physical, I will eliminate all of it. And I, when I die and resurrect, I will send my spirit. I will send my spirit, my temple, inside of your heart. Where you don't stand a chance to build it any better. Jesus looked at that and he said, it's not good enough. So I'll put my spirit inside of them. I'll put my temple inside of them. 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple? And that, that word translated, it's, you look up the word temple there, it's translated as the holy of holies. It's the space that God originally created there in the tabernacle. And he said, that's where my presence is going to be. That's where I'm going to come to be amongst my people. That's where my spirit's going to be. That's where you're going to hear my voice. That's where you're going to get direction for your life. And if you want home improvement, if you want improvement in your life, if you want to change the direction of your career, you want to change the direction of your relationships, if you want to change the course of your spirituality, you want to change the course of your relationship, you want to change the course of your temple worship, then you've got to understand it's not about all of the other stuff because all of the other stuff, it's not good enough. But he placed inside of us the temple and if we want to change our lives if we want to change our culture if we want to change this country we want to change the problems that we are encountering right now as a nation we want to change the the problems that we're experiencing in our marriage we want to change the the, the problems that we experience with our children with our neighbors with our co-workers with our bosses if we want to change the course of our life it is not going to come through through, through vague speech and, and, and through praying loudly in front of people and, and reciting the scriptures that we know in front of all of our friends. It's not, it's not going to come through us uh, having more faith than somebody else. It's not going to come through all of our works. It's not going to come through every dollar that we can give. It's going to come through praying that the Lord would change our hearts, praying that the Lord would illuminate every single room in his temple Lord, please change our hearts. We have a religion filled with millions of people, many of which have never experienced a changed life because they've been too focused on building it bigger instead of building it deeper. If you want your life to really change, he has restored. This is the kingdom of heaven. And it is good enough. prayer for us today is God change our hearts because when you change our hearts we cannot stay the same illuminate every room in the temple that you have placed inside of us God we give you free access God take free access right now God and Lord you build your temple the way that you want it inside of our hearts
this message is for you, I want to, I don't care, man. Open up your eyes. This message is for you. You're like, I haven't experienced life change or I haven't experienced it in a long time. And I need that life change. I need the tabernacle to be built inside of me. I need that heart change. I know it's bold. I want you to hold your hand up right now. I'm going to pray for you. God, thank you so much, Lord, for the people who are willing to hold their hands up. God, for the people right now who they're holding their hands up internally, God, they know that they need a heart change. God, they need a temple change. God, they need their temple rebuilt. Right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for their hearts, God. Illuminate every room in that temple, God. Change our hearts, Lord, so that we can actually affect the cultures around us, not with bigger things that we do, but deeper ways that we live. If, you're in, if you've never chosen to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you realize that you want to go back to the original creation where his spirit is inside of you, and you want that for the first time, I want you to hold up your hand right now. All right, with no hands raised in this room, online, if you're watching this, and that's you, I want you to go to my, and we're gonna pray with TV, and I want you to click on the connection card at the top, send us a message, and we're gonna pray with you right now. So. Church family, pray with me as we pray for whoever's online right now. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. I know that I have had sin in my life, and you came to save me from that. You are the Son of God. And you want me to be in your presence. Help me to let you be king in my life. Come to build your temple in my heart. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.